Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks and a Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 182. Well, just ahead, camping outfitter Johnson Outdoors has got some good things in fishing. And DocuSign signing up lots of new customers, even as it dumps lots of employees. The post-pandemic path for DocuSign, we'll talk about that. And flying cars are having trouble getting off the ground. Shocker, Lilium co-founder Daniel Wigand joins us with a, an interesting conversation. But first... It's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down, you know, anywhere. It's ubiquitous. Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, whatever. But if you hit the subscribe button, you don't have to worry about forgetting to find the latest show, it'll show up right away on your device. So hit the subscribe button, follow us so you can catch every single show. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We're going to talk about the business stories, find some stocks that are on the move and jumping around. Joining right now, Isaac Webster, our executive producer from festive, holiday, cheerful Los Angeles. Yes, it's a very cheerful morning here in Los Angeles. You've wanted to kill a few people today already, haven't you? <laughs> you've you've had road rage and you haven't even, you haven't even been on the road. No, I have had some road rage this morning. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, you've been on my texts and emails. So anyway, but let's get this show on the road. Well, it wasn't directed towards me yet. <laughs> it wasn't. The rage. Not yet, not yet. Not yet. Um, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch the order around a little bit, which doesn't matter to anyone except for you, Isaac. But I want to start with DocuSign. Uh, DocuSign, uh, a company we talked about on a recent show about yeah. the confusion over who the CEO is, uh, announced earnings uh, uh, recently. And uh, um, the earnings, you know, they, they look kind of good. DocuSign trades under uh, DOCU, if you remember from last week. We talked about it. Shares have jumped over 11% this week. But if you look at that 12-month chart, Docu has shares have fallen 65% in a year. I got a Christmas card from the uh, from the uh, founder and chairman of uh, of DocuSign. Oh, isn't that sweet? It's very excited. Yeah, uh, lovely of uh, Keith Croc, uh, great guy. Is that going to influence uh, what you say? What you're about to say? Oh, geez, it probably is. Yeah. See, full Actually, disclosure. Full disclosure. Well, yeah. So he, so he was the founder of the company, and he and he is a friend, uh, uh, and, uh, and and like I said, a great guy. Um, we know, and we 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 did take them down a notch maybe last week. Maybe did we? 
Who knows? I mean, you I know, mean we just pointed out the obvious. Story for those who, who you know, uh, uh, so he's a former chairman of the company and former CEO of DocuSign and the founder. Um, and um, uh, yeah, they, they had this this issue where they, they got rid of the CEO and the CEO is sued saying they didn't have the right to get rid of him. So that that uh, suit remains out there. But the earnings of the company I thought were worth looking at again here um, because they do have a new CEO in uh, Alan Thigason. Whether or not he was a, a appropriately named to be CEO or not, it seems very Game of Thrones-like in the legal uh, world. But the business is doing, you know, kind of well, even even though we're, you know, there's all this talk in, in the broader economy about is it a slowdown, is it a recession, DocuSign doing a, a workforce reduction, yes, layoffs, or the restructuring, as they like to call it in September, uh, they announced that. But revenues were up 18% year over year to $645 million dollars. And they're adding customers. Uh, they added 42,000 new customers in the quarter, bringing up the installed base to 1.3 million customers. And that's 19% above a year ago. They also saw a big increase in big customers. The customers that spent over 300 grand with them uh, were up 34%. So, you know. I mean, this is, they, that's, these are healthy numbers. Very exactly, healthy numbers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and let's put the layoffs into context, right? So they did announce a, a restructuring and, and letting people go, and that's a horrible thing for any company to go through. Um, and yet, they're still at, with a lot more employees. They had about 7,000 employees last year. They got 7,500 uh, at the same period at the end of Q3 this year. So even though they are laying off people, they are still net-net uh, with more people. How many people um, are they laying doing off? doing a share buyback. How many people uh, are they, they haven't announced the, the, the hard number, mm-hmm. but uh, again, the, what we see from these guys is, is that the, the business is just growing by, by almost any standard. There's mm-hmm. just concerns uh, on the street about how much they can grow and will the growth rate be uh, still good. But that's, that's Wall Street's problem, right? This is a business that's growing and it's interesting. Um, and they talk a lot about how they're kind of restructuring their, their offerings and uh, contract life management, CLM, is kind of their big area where they want to be involved in lots of different steps. When stuff has to get signed, they want it to get signed using DocuSign's tools. Even when you don't know you're using a DocuSign tool, like when you're, I don't know, signing up for a new contract in T-Mobile, you might sign your, on your, you know, with a squiggly line on a, on a computer or on your phone. But in fact, you're using DocuSign, even though you don't uh, see that that's the case. Lots of companies doing that, and they're trying to get in those organizations. Here is CEO. Alan Thigason. If you think about all the steps in the agreement workflow, we did an excellent job nailing the specific use case of signing an agreement. But all of the other steps, I think, remain, there remains plenty of opportunity to uh, revamp that. And so, as I alluded to in my prepared comments, we're excited about the opportunity, for example, to redefine what an agreement looks like. It doesn't have to be this highly formatted document. It's something you can enter uh, on a on a web page, we already have clients who do this with us. Mobile carriers have people sign up to DocuSign, but it looks like a web interface. And a variety of health organizations use our new uh, functionality to do this for patients. So once they've gone through it once, they can pre-fill the agreements and sign-ins for future. So I think this functionality around helping people uh, both create the agreements and, in a sense, negotiate and complete them uh, online is a significant opportunity. Looking on the um, personalization side, uh, you can imagine uh, we do this today with Salesforce and a variety of other platforms. Uh, Reps can send out documents um, that are personalized and tailored to the uh, customer based on data that's already in the system. Again, a way of integrating directly with third-party applications and leveraging the simplicity and power of DocuSign. Post-agreement, I think the CLM space holds tremendous uh, promise for DocuSign. 
both in terms of extracting more value, more business value from agreements, as well as on the risk and compliance side. And I've had a, a number of, of meetings with uh, large enterprises that are excited about both of those use cases. So I feel like there's there's actually quite a bit of breath there, uh, and we're just at the early stages of, of delivering against that opportunity. So these guys obviously see the chance to uh, uh, get into new businesses, not just grow in the way that they've been growing, but maybe um, redo some of their software and some of their services that they offer to uh, try to grow in that uh, in other places that they haven't been before. You mentioned Game of Thrones earlier. I have to just let the listeners know, when you do look at Alan Thigason's name spelled out, it looks like Targaryen. Oh, wait, how do we know what Targaryen looks like? <laughs> how do you not know? Do you not watch Game of Thrones? Do you not? Yeah, but you don't Greg, read Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, you, you don't troll their wiki? Uh, or you're not a fan of Google going fan wikis? Oh, God. All right. I, I, well, I, I am that guy. In fact. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Lululemon. Do you own lots of Lululemon, Isaac? You're, you're an extraordinarily fit individual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in a different direction with that. I actually, um, I don't own any Lululemon, but I am a big fan of a Lululemon competitor called ASRV. Really? Which one? ASRV. Oh, really? Aesthetic Good Revolution. Yeah. They've got great stuff. I think it's actually only for men, workout clothes. But Lululemon, you know, they've got great stuff too. Trades under Lulu, L-U-L-U. And shares have tumbled though 14% this week and are lower by 21%. Over the past twelve months, what's going on with? I was in uh, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, this week yesterday, uh, and and I was in uh, East Grand Rapids. I knew it wasn't a fancy part of town because I saw an Athletia, Athletica, Athletia was Lululemon competitor. Oh, they're not the same company. Correct, (laughs) they are not the same company. Come on, I seriously thought they were. I've seen the Athleticas around. You know, I thought, oh, it must be a derivative of Lululemon, but they're in fact. There's been lots of Lululemon in my life. I was once married to a, a, a yoga instructor of sorts. I remember. She would go teach. That was her job, right? She'd go teach these classes and she got paid, I don't know, what, like $100 an hour or something. But then she doubt go, that. The, I doubt she got paid a hundred bucks an hour. And then, so then she would, she would, she would leave the place and go next door to use her twenty percent off at Lululemon and spend four hundred dollars on Lululemon clothes after every class, and then let the parking <laughs> meter expire and get a hundred dollar ticket. <laughs> her having a job was costing me a fortune. She ended up costing a lot more in the end. But that's not why I want to talk that's about Lululemon. That's a different show. Lululemon because uh, my house was filled with Lululemon, uh, and you know what else is filled with Lululemon clothes? Lululemon. Lululemon's inventory is a mess. So their sales were up big time. In the quarter, they just reported up 28%. Same store sales up 14%. But the inventory of Lululemon stuff is through the roof. And the company, while they talked about the numbers, they could not not talk about the numbers on their conference call. To my liking, they really uh, danced around it. See what I did there? Lululemon and dance. It was a... It was a Anyway, they danced around the fact that they've got an inventory problem. They said, well, 45% of the inventory is the, is our regular stuff. So it's not really an inventory problem because we always sell this stuff. Yeah, it was higher, but you know, it was, it was, it, it, we don't have a supply chain problem anymore. So uh, that's why the stock got killed. Um, and inventory is a problem. Maybe there's Lululemon sales uh, in, the, in the future. Uh, who knows? But uh, they are higher with inventory than they wanted to be. Does Lululemon have like a like an off like a off sack? What is that Saks Fifth Avenue knock there, there knock off the rack no type off, of thing? There is no off Lulu. No, there is off no Lulu. TJ Maxx for Lulu. They should. Why not? I think the stuff's fantastic. Yeah, 
but it, it feels good um, to wear. It's not selling like they need it to, or at least they've they've got too much. They like to to, to characterize it as it's great. We're not going to run out of product this holiday season. But that's not how the street sees it. Here's how CFO Megan Frank sees it. So end of uh, Q4 inventory was in line with our expectations. Uh, we were um, under inventoried last year. Um, so as Calvin mentioned, uh, we strategically positioned inventory to be able to capture guest demand this year. Um, we've been, really been focused on that three-year unit CAGR, um, which is 38% at the end of the corridor with three points driven by in-transit. Um, it is, uh, we are continuing to experience supply chain environment improving and, and vendor readiness improving. Um, so the team is adjusting to that new reality. Um, that is reflected in the 60% um, color that we gave for year end. Um, so as you said, a little bit higher than the 55 to 60% uh, we gave um, at the end of last quarter for uh, end of year inventory driven by that improving supply chain environment and, and vendor readiness. So I, I, you know, for me, I just don't like it when uh, a CFO is saying, oh, we've strategically positioned our inventory to capture guest demand. Yeah. No, you mean you got too much stuff. Just admit it. Say you're going to fix no, it. But you got to appreciate the spin. That's no, I don't appreciate it. I, I do. I mean, listen, that's that's some good writing right strategically there. Strategically positioned inventory. You mean you yeah. got too much? That's not strategic. I think it's brilliant that's writing. Good for her. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Johnson Outdoors, the well-named Johnson Outdoors. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Do you are you a are you a family member? Is this one of your family members? What, Corey Johnson? Family is an interesting thing with uh, Johnson Outdoors, the Racine, Wisconsin uh, maker of outdoor products, seller of outdoor products. Um, uh, they sell, but no, no relation. Johnson well, Carpet, Grand Rapids, Michigan, got lots of carpet to sell you. But uh, uh, my family did not have the good sense to get into the SC Johnson business, a privately held uh, giant healthcare company. The CEO of Johnson Outdoors is, in fact, according to Forbes, worth $5 billion, uh, thanks to her family fortune. Nice. Her family fortune is doing better now, right? Yeah, I think so. But J Johnson Outdoors trades under J-O-U-T and shares have jumped 16% in the past week. But still, if you look at that one-year chart, J-O-U-T, Johnson Outdoors is uh, lower by 30% over the past 12 months. So what's going on with Johnson if, Outdoors? They've had a good well, week. They've had a fantastic, actually, couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had a great 2019. They had a great uh, you know, first couple of months of 2020. Then the pandemic hit. And as we know, outdoor everything. Uh, did fantastically yeah. and has continued to. And I think the, the stock performance was a fear that like some of the boating companies and others that um, uh, uh, you've seen that reflected in some of the boating companies we've, we've talked about with publicly traded companies where um, the fear that the, the slowdown would hit them has caused the stocks to fall, even though they continue to report fantastic results and Johnson Outdoors reporting fantastic results today. But this company, again, they make fishing, diving uh, stuff, uh, motors, fish finders, downriggers, shallow water anchors, diving regulators, uh, computers, masks, fins, snorkels, kayaks, stuff like that. But I'm not doing a good job of explaining this. Let's, Isaac, wait, let's do something a little different. Let's, let's have a, a feel good moment here from the fine folks at Johnson Outdoors. The outdoors is good for you. You reconnect, you are refreshed, the stress kind of just 
just peels away and it is truly good for your well-being. You know, we have a, a purpose that really is the reason we come to work every day and it really says it all. Yes, that was Helen Johnson Leopold. Imagine the uh, the sound engineer who was who was who had that brilliant idea for uh, having her sitting in a, on a lawn chair outdoors, not thinking the cicadas was going to completely ruin the interview sound. These are the <laughs> things we audio professionals have to deal with. Nonetheless, uh, yes, it just says it all. It makes you feel good about the outdoors. Look, people love, especially the fishing business, doing really well for Johnson Outdoors. Here's what she had to say in the quarterly earnings call about what they're doing uh, uh, finally, finally, finally after this sort of three-year surge of people being much more interested in outdoors, everything, being able to fill some back orders and uh, sell lots of fishing gear and lots of kayaks and boats and everything else. Here's Helen Johnson Leopold. We've got continuing, um, you know, back orders. We're continuing to work those down in fishing uh, and, and, you know, we're as we get into um, building inventory for the next season and we get some pre-orders in, so they're all getting kind of mixed together, but we have solid orders in fishing and, um, you know, getting back to the normal kind of order placement that we have seen historically in the other businesses. So um, we feel good about the position. Uh, we haven't seen cancellations, so uh, it, it's a positive sign. Outdoors, Isaac, fishing, you? Ice fishing? Nothing? Uh, no, I'm not. Have you been ice fishing? I have never been ice fishing, no. Oh my fishing, God, don't do it. Lots of fishing, <laughs> but you know. Uh, never been my cup of tea, but lots of fishers in my family. I have heard it said that ice fishing is just an excuse for old men to go drink. But they, you know, they pull these shanties. You can we say that about some- a lot of things. Also true. My my family in Michigan, they would they would uh, the lake would uh, the, the the lake where we had a, a cottage would freeze over, and they'd take the snowmobiles out. They'd even take trucks out in the lake sometimes. But they pull these these shanties out, just like little sheds, about, about not much bigger than an uh, an outhouse, and then they'd saw a hole in the lake and I don't know sit around on top of lanterns and stay where I was just insane to me. My torture from my from my youth. I'm still trying yeah. to get over it. I've never really understood the appeal of it, but, you know, to each their own. Well, the uh, fishing business is killing it for Johnson Outdoors, and good for them. All right, well, coming up, we're going to have a conversation with a company called Lilium. Founder uh, Danny Wygan joins us to talk about their efforts. Uh, Yeah, why not? Flying cars? Sure. Good luck with that. That's right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Daniel Vigand, who is the CEO of an interesting company called Lilium, based in Munich, uh, and joining us from Munich. Glad to have you. Um, Daniel, uh, what problem is Lilium trying to solve? Hi, Corey. Thanks for having me. So what we are doing is we're developing electric jet aircraft that are completely battery powered uh, and capable of vertical takeoff and landing. 
And with these airplanes, we can provide high-speed connectivity without the need for building expensive ground infrastructure like high-speed rail tracks or highways. Isn't that a helicopter? This is exactly what a helicopter can do today, but we're solving the problems a helicopter has. So, for example, we can do this at lower cost. We're doing it emissions-free. Our airplanes are much less noisy, both inside and outside the airplane, than a helicopter. We're having a safety level like an airliner with redundancy in all parts and systems of the airplane. And last but not least, it looks much better because it's a jet aircraft. It doesn't have any open blades that are rotating. Yeah, uh, helicopters are um, uh, notoriously unsafe. Maybe it's not, it's not discussed a lot, but helicopters have nowhere near the safety that we've come to expect from commercial airliners. Yes. So uh, you're right, that wasn't a question. I do this when I interview <laughs> people. I say stuff hoping that it sounds like a question. Um, but let me be more clear about that. Um, what are you doing to make these safer? than a helicopter. Why is it safer? So the big difference to a helicopter is that in a helicopter, you have all these mechanical parts, gearboxes, blades, variable pitch mechanisms, etc. And all these are single points of failure. So there's no redundancy. If one of those components fails, you lose the whole helicopter. And the solution in the electric vertical takeoff and landing jet is that you have redundancy on the systems. So we have 10 battery packs on the airplane. We have a total of 30 small electric jet engines and uh, you have redundant bus systems, you have redundant avionics components. And that means any one of these systems can fail in flight and you can still do a safe landing of the aircraft. And the reason we can do this better or more easily than a helicopter is that electrical systems are easier made redundant uh, than uh, you can do it with a complex gas turbine, for example. Our motors have one shaft, two bearings, and one moving part, whereas a classical gas turbine comes with 10,000s of parts. Have you had any fail? We've had failures so far, and we've had safe landings after those failures in the test aircraft. Now, you said the test aircraft. How many aircraft have you actually completed? Uh, we're currently flying um, the fifth uh, generation of, of test aircraft in Spain. That's a one and a half tons um, full-size vertical takeoff and landing jet. And with this airplane, we have recently had a very exciting, um, very exciting milestone in which we flew for the first time in history uh, a full transition from vertical takeoff and uh, then accelerating and then going into transition to actually uh, creating the lift of the airplane with the wings and then going back all the way uh, to a vertical landing. Now, uh, you guys, uh, um, yeah, I, I mentioned this because you haven't sold a single plane yet. You've, you've made some commitments, right? But you haven't actually completed any for sale uh, at all. We have multiple uh, hundred uh, pre-orders, but these are at the moment non-binding pre-orders. And uh, in, the, in the next months, uh, we intend um, to get uh, the first down payments and convert these step-by-step -step, uh, into, into actual binding um, orders. What's the expectation now for when you're going to complete your first uh, vehicle for sale, your first plane for sale? Our plan is to obtain the civil um, certification of these airplanes uh, within the year 25. 
And then that basically means you go on the market as soon as you have um, your certification of the airplane. And uh, uh, by my calculation, you'll be well out of cash. You'll be bankrupt before that, by my calculations, but at least at the current burn rate. And you obviously can't slow things down right now. Uh, that's correct. Our current runway is not uh, lasting until the end of 25. But we have um, a very solid um, business plan and, and, and financial plan um, that we that helps us um, basically close the gap. So uh, we're first of all going to apply a very strict budgetary control on the program as we are working through the certification of the airplane. Uh, as I mentioned just before, we plan to sign firm aircraft orders um, in, in the next uh, months and in the next year uh, with the commercial operators and then also getting deposits from these orders as well as uh, we're working on um, government loans and additional uh, funding. So we're very confident on the timeline as well as um, the funding of the project. So uh, I'm going to push a little harder on that if I may. So, um, uh, so you do, you're you, you're agreeing that you're about to run out of money, but you're, I'm, I don't I didn't hear exactly where you're going to get the money from. I mean, obviously the fundraising markets you went public through a SPAC um, uh, in the within the last year, but the fundraising markets are not what they were uh, even six months ago. It's going to be hard for you to go harder to go to the market to get money, whether it's debt or or a dilutive equity offering. Will probably be, I would imagine it's going to be a lot different now than it would have been. Well. I don't have to imagine it's a hundred percent more difficult now than it, than it was six months ago. So what is your plan to raise more money? Yeah. Well, times are harder these days than they have been 12 months ago, as you said, and this is why we have um, a mix that we're using. So it's a mix between deposits, loans, and uh, additional funding, but we're not relying on, on the funding alone, because as you said, um, this is uh, more difficult these days. What do you mean you're not relying on the funding alone? On the equity funding. Oh, not relying alone. We have. You mentioned government loans. Which uh, which government do you think is going to loan you the money? Uh, there is a government here. There is Brussels. There's there's other there's other entities. So we're just working on all these um, different let's say pots of funding, and uh, together we have a very good and solid plan. We're not relying. So you haven't on identified the, the uh, which government it would be that would offer a loan. Well, there is only Brussels and Germany and uh, maybe some other governments, but there's there's lots of uh, different uh, programs where you can apply. And we have worked and uh, applied to some of these, which are the most promising ones for us. Uh, but as I said, this is not the only uh, source of funding we rely on. As I said, we rely on um, the, the equity line of credit that we have. We have uh, deposits that we're working on. We have the government funding programs that we're working on, and the mix is what makes us confident and successful. I would imagine that um, uh, the process also of getting the, the vehicle approved, uh, uh, you need that to happen pretty quickly. What is, the, what is the time frame in which you think that happens? What are the steps you've got to achieve? So the time frame, as I said before, is end of 25. And the steps that are happening in between is that we are uh, next year, starting to build the so-called conforming airplane, which means it's the first airplane that is conforming with all the requirements that the regulators have laid out for these airplanes and our aircraft specifically. And then uh, in the year 24, this aircraft goes into the first flight. You have a ground test campaign first and you go into flight after that. And then you have um, a classic aircraft um, flight test campaign 
uh, of at least one and a half years in which you have up to five, six um, airplanes in the that have slightly different configurations of test equipment on board. And then with these airplanes, you do the final uh, verification and demonstration of your compliance. And then uh, as a result of that, you can demonstrate that you are compliant with all the requirements and you obtain your civil certification of the airplane. So uh, just uh, to be real specific about that. So what you're saying is that by uh, no later than June of 2024, you'll have all of all of planes ready to start their 18 months of testing. And it has to get done in 18 months, no longer than that. Our current plan is uh, to fly uh, in the year 24, but we're not flying all airplanes at the same time. So they come a little bit in a time shift. You start with one, do your first flight, uh, then you bring the second one online and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm, just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, uh, again, uh, imagining both the funding window or as you put up runway running out. It's too bad a pun that I would not make, but you did it. So we'll stick with your runway uh, pun. But um, if, if in fact, that first vehicle is not ready by June, if, if it's going to take 18 months to test it and you don't even have a single vehicle ready by June of 2024, then you're extending the, the, the um, launch into 2026. If the testing takes any more than 18 months, I know governments run absolutely purely on time. Just kidding. That's not the case. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it seems like there's a lot riding on those kinds of deadlines. And they're, and they're really important for a company that is burning through its last wisp, wisps of cash. These deadlines are important as, as in every aerospace program and any, any other startup. Um, the execution is what really matters because any delay means you're spending more. You're coming later on the market. And this is the reason why we are so much laser focused on the execution uh, of, of bringing this aircraft um, for the first flight and then also through its flight test campaign. Uh, but we have a very good um, position right now in the certification program. We have uh, made very good milestones um, with the audits here um, from the regulators coming on site, auditing our um, quality processes, our engineering processes. We've made very good progress on agreeing the so-called means of compliance. So that basically describes how you are demonstrating your compliance to a certain requirement. It's much more work and much more detail than the actual requirements. And uh, we have locked down uh, the, the vast part of our supply chain, be it structures, motors, um, battery cells, um, engines, etc. All these things are really critical suppliers and we're proud to have some of the best aerospace suppliers from around the world like um, Honeywell, um, Denso makes the electric motors, for example, these are very well-known names, uh, for these to be part of the program. And that's why we're so confident that we can deliver an aerospace-grade product um, in a relatively uh, short time frame. Yeah, and, uh, you've, and as you mentioned, you've received some deposits from some uh, uh, carriers in the, in the UK, in the UK, excuse me, in the Eurozone. And... Um, uh, those deposits, however, you said are refundable. So what is a deposit? And, and yet, if you're going to use those um, to fund the company, how are they actually refundable? And aren't the companies counting on those as being restricted cash? We've not, and didn't say that, we've not received deposits yet. We intend to get um, prepayments in the next months. But the uh, pre-orders that uh, we have are non-binding pre-orders at the moment, and we want to convert them uh, into deposits over time. And this is a normal process. 
So in aerospace, you usually at the point in time when you actually start producing and delivering the airplane, you usually have around 30% um, of the aircraft value uh, in down payment. Well, there's some heavy lifting to be done. Uh, I, we can hear that. And um, uh, that pun is entirely my fault. I apologize for that to our listeners and to you, uh, Daniel Vigand, the CEO of Lilium. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, coming up next, we're going to have one number that tells us a whole lot about Lillian. Lilium, I said, right after this. Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And of course, you can listen to the uh, Drill Down podcast on any of your devices, not least of which your smart speaker. Just ask your smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We are back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, in this case, about a lot about Lilium. It's not quite the tongue twister you would think. Uh, 1.2 million is the number. That's how okay. many views, that's how many views, a YouTube video showing the Lilium uh, Jet, the Jet five-seater technology demonstration video that's on YouTube. It's got 1.2 million views and it went up on YouTube three years ago. And I think that has a lot to do with the hype, or at least the one-time hype around this stock. I think, you know, this, this is, there's this bigger idea and I won't get too deep into it, but I think that one of the things about technology is people want this to be true. They want this to be possible. They want to think we're going to have little flying jets and other magical things. I mean, I want one. I mean, the pictures of the Lillian jets are incredible. They're well, beautiful. you might not want it if it crashed. You might not want it if it could only well, go. I don't want anything if it crashes, but down the idea the of this, the idea right, you of want this, this magical thing that doesn't exist yet. Well, wait for who maybe you know maybe someday it will exist maybe, maybe it's not possible you know people used to say that about the light bulb people used to say that about uh, these uh personal flying jets because it's not possible yet well yet. i wish them a lot of luck they're working on it uh -huh. like i said i wish them a lot of luck you've been listening to the drill down and we're grateful for your time i'm corey johnson isaac webster's our executive producer ben wilson Stitch this all together. He's an extraordinary editor. We're lucky to have him. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.